start with the first drink. So I'm eight years old. It's 1981. And uh, at that time, Ernest and Julio Gallo was available in every grocery store across the country. And my parents loved that stuff. And they thought it was cool to let the kids take a sip. So my little brother and I would get to take a sip whenever the grownups would pass it around. And I figured out that if I took a gulp, it was way more fun than a sip. So after a few gulps, I got a little drunk and the grownups learned to stop passing it around like that. Um, a few years later, uh, in high school, my buddies were hanging out and they were like, Hey, let's drink this. And I'm like, great. I wanted to, I, I, I always felt like it was just like everybody else in high school. You see described, I was, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the director, but all those eighties movies that came out about everybody wanting to be popular. I wanted that. And I'm like, well, the secret must be there somewhere. I got to be the popular kid. How do I be the cool kid? How do I be the underdog that comes up? And I was like, well, I'll hang out with these, uh, the, my buddies it's, uh, after this football game. And they're going to, and then they passed around this, this rum. And I, and I started guzzling that rum with them to be part of. And to be honest, I didn't have that effect that a lot of alcoholics talk. I overshot the mark immediately. I got alcohol poisoning and I didn't even want to touch alcohol for another like year until a cute girl um, that I liked was um, about a year later, she was smoking her aunt's weed out of a wizard bong or ceramic wizard bong and drinking I'm aging myself again, Bartles and James wine coolers, and they were easy to drink. So I would start drinking those with her and then, um, and I would feel relaxed and, you know, and I would have fun. And, and um, it was actually just eventually I figured out that if you just slam two beers real quick, everything else is fine after that. And then I could show up at all the parties and I could dance and the music was cool. And I was cool. And talking to girls was cool. Everything was cool. And, um, and I was okay. And I was able to weekend warrior that for a little bit. Um, I like smoking pot. I know that somebody told me that Dr. Paul started this meeting. And so I really appreciate that because I have a lot in common with uh, Dr. Paul and that like um, eventually years later, um, I got to where I couldn't seem to start drinking without eventually winding up with a needle in my arm or something. And I heard that was part of that one story in the back of the book. Actually, I read it a bunch of times. Um, so I'll just fast forward to there because I don't know how much time I've got. So um, <laughs> the, uh, so, and it was when I got to that point, see, I thought, I thought my dad was alcoholic. And what I saw my dad do is he, I saw him drink every day and lose control. So I thought, well, if I don't drink every day, um, I've got it under control. So I'm not alcoholic. When I got a hold of that other stuff, I, um, I definitely lost control immediately. And I knew it had me whipped. And when I first started trying to get sober, cause I was homeless and I needed somewhere to go. Um, there was a place that would let me in and they, they said they would show me how to get into sober living and, and give you time to find a job. And I had been on the street for a couple of years, just like doing what I had to do to get by and get loaded. And this seemed like a perfect opportunity. And, uh, I didn't know I was alcoholic, but, um, you guys at AA just seemed to have what I wanted. Um, you looked like you were clean cut about five minutes. You looked like you were clean cut, um, that you had jobs, you had a place to live and you had like relationships and stuff like people wanted to talk to you. And I felt like a dirty, like homeless, uh, drug addict, you know, drunk. And so I wanted what you had and I went and hung out with you guys. I don't know why I didn't see that in other rooms at the time. I just didn't. But, um, and it was sitting down with a guy that with the book that eventually I started looking at my drinking and I realized, you know, I, I, mean, I might be alcoholic, but what I identified was, was, was the frequency of the drinking and trying to hide the drinking and the fact that drinking always led me into the dope house. I was like, okay, so the trick is don't drink. And, um, and I would pay attention to the people that, uh, would, uh, that would go up and sit in Texas. They do y'all do the business like in every meeting. And, 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 uh, sometimes at the beginning of the meeting, um, back home, we would do birthday nights like once a month or something. 
And um, my first outside meeting out of treatment, out of the sober living happened to be birthday night at this really nice Alano club. And I was paying attention to everybody that was celebrating a year. Cause I was like, that's the goal. If I can get a year, I'm set, right? I'll be safe. And uh, I would listen to everybody that had a year and listen to what they had, what they did. And these people got a job and they had a place to live, which is really all I wanted and, and a relationship. And I'm like, oh yeah, I want a girlfriend too. So um, I paid attention to them and I kind of watched them as I went along. And at a, at a year sober, I had, I had a job, I had a place to live and I had a girlfriend. I'm recovered. And it worked for a while. Um, at like 20 once, um, I wound up moving out of that place because the, the, of the relationship, I wound up wanting out of that relationship, but I didn't know how to have a converse, healthy conversation about it. Um, I remember quitting a job by not showing up cause I didn't really like the job, but I found another job. And I just remember one day I got tired of being good. And, um, and I was hanging out with a, the girl that I wanted to talk to, but I couldn't talk to her like about, I'm kind of still in a relationship. I didn't want to have all this conversation. But when she was calling up a friend to get some stuff for the party, I knew that when we're partying like that, we don't have to have those conversations. And uh, I got tired of being good and I picked up. And that started a cycle of relapsing and getting sober and relapsing and getting sober. And I, I didn't know it at the time, but really I was just looking, I thought I was looking for safety. Um, I mean, effectively I was, but um, I thought that if I could get comfortable, I would feel safe and I would be okay. And every time I got sober, that's what it was about. Every time I got sober, it was check into a treatment center because they'll get me off the street. They'll give me a bed. They'll feed me all. And I had kind of this pattern. I, I was really good at doing it. I would go into a 30, 60, 90 day treatment center, then go into sober living. And then I could rebuild my life from there. I did this over and over again until um, about like this last time I had a year separated from alcohol and all the other stuff. And I was so full of fear and spiritually sick inside. And I didn't know what to do about it. And you guys had shown me like how to get in the middle of AA. You talked about it a lot. You talked about the spiritual experience, but all of that seemed theoretical. All of that seemed like something that I was supposed to do like later on down the road when I had some time. Um, but um, I had drifted away from meetings. I had, I, I wasn't really doing um, uh, 10. I was trying to do 10 and 11, but it just, I didn't really under, I, I didn't feel connected. I can tell you that I felt cut off from everything and everyone. It's like, nobody understands what I'm going through. So I get, I, I picked up a drink so that I could relieve that so that I could feel better because I didn't have anything else to treat that with. I took that first drink and I didn't get the relief, which really sucks. Um, but I had also set off the allergy, so I couldn't stop. So I kept drinking and doing the other stuff for another four months. And I find myself from the nice apartment I had in Dana Point, I was sleeping on the floor on a mattress in that same apartment. It looked like a different scene. People were overdosing in the apartment. The, the, fire, the sheriff's department was there regularly. Um, I, my last uh, drunk there, I, I drank all the booze in the, in the house. Um, one, for belief, but two, so that I could try to get into a detox at St. Joseph's Hospital. But they wouldn't let me in. I felt suicidal, but I couldn't convince them that I was. I think I was... <laughs> I, I was, I think I was just too numb and too drunk. And they were like, just go outside. But I crashed on the couch with a guy that was my sponsor at that time. Um, he said, we're going to go to a meeting in the morning. I went to the Dana Point Harbor meeting that morning. Um, I hated it. Um, I went to, we went to the, whatever the breakfast place is that everybody goes to afterward. And, and that somebody bought me a really nice breakfast and, um, and I couldn't eat it. I was, I was kicking heroin and alcohol at the same time. And, uh, and I, and I, and all this, the problems that I had that I drank over to feel better about still existed. 
Um, I didn't know how I was going to fix everything. I didn't know how I was going to solve those problems. I didn't think I could ever stay sober. I, um, I had seen Pat speak at another meeting and heard a speaker tape and, and he drank and, and, and did a lot of stuff exactly the way I did. I'm like, this guy knows what's up. I, he came over to meet me at this indigent treatment center in Santa Ana. That's my timer. And I'll just do, I'll end with this. So I, he sat across the table from me with me in the, in the big book. And, and I really thought that there was something special or different, that I had something wrong with me that none of you understood. After years of being in and out of AA, and I sat across from Pat and I told him about everything that was going on in my head. And he's like, man, I can totally relate to the self-obsession. I didn't even know what it was called until then. And then he took me uh, to page 52 and we read the uh, devilments together. And I'm like, Pat, that's what I sound. That's what exactly what I felt like inside at a year separated from alcohol. And he said, you were suffering from untreated alcoholism. So you treated it with the only thing that you know how that was alcohol. And that stopped working for me. He said, and I was like, oh, he's like, you're probably alcoholic. <laughs> and and I, I agreed. Like I clicked with me what that meant. And he said, you're going to have to live a spiritual life and I'll show you how to do it. And so he did. And I've been doing almost everything that he showed me to do ever since. And I've been free. Um, I identified as recovered at the beginning because uh, I recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. It means when I wake up in the morning, I don't worry about getting loaded. I don't worry about where, how I'm going to get some more. I don't have to worry about accidentally stumbling into a dope house or a bar. I'm free from the obsession to use any kind of substance. And also I have this connection that I can tap into when I practice it, that gives me this internal freedom that it's, it, it, it's, it comes and goes, it's a growing experience with a discipline, but I know that today I walk a free man and that my purpose that I don't understand, but I'm being guided by something that I'm willing to follow. Thanks for letting me share.